This is Future You with Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn. Welcome to the latest episode of Future You. I'm Jeff Salingo, along with my co-host, uh, Michael Horn. Um, and we're really excited to have uh, Ted Mitchell, who's president of the American Council on Education, with us today to talk everything about what's happening not only in Washington, but beyond in terms of uh, higher education and the state of higher education. It's great to have you with us today, Ted. Great to be here, Jeff. Great to be here, Michael. Good to see you guys. So we start, the question we start with most of our guests is, uh, how did you get started in, in higher ed? You've had quite an interesting career in higher ed, both inside, outside, and uh, and within institutions and Upside within the down. government. Yep. <laughs> so how did, uh, why higher ed for you and how did you get started? So I can't keep a job, which is the nice path through this. Um, you know, so I, I went to college wanting to be a high school math teacher and um, worked on that for a while. And uh, as I got to know higher ed, I really felt that this was a, an important place where one could deal in ideas and action simultaneously. My focus through my academic research uh, and through my administrative work and my leadership work has been about access and affordability and creating an equitable education uh, system. And higher ed uh, seems to still be the major vector for social mobility in American society. And I'm all in about that. So how would you describe, given that you've jumped back and forth between different roles, institutional level, organizations investing in the ecosystem, the, the government itself, now a membership organization, how would you describe the different advantages and disadvantages that each of those perspectives brings toward that question of access and equity? Yeah, great, great question, Michael. And uh, I think that each has its own um, particular um, leverage points, but then its particular blind spots. When you and I were working together, investing in edtech startups, for example, I think that that was tremendously exciting because we were working with entrepreneurs who were right on the edge of creating tools and processes that were aimed exactly at improving outcomes for low-income kids. And that was terrific. And I think you know, we did a lot of good work together. And uh, New Schools Venture Fund, where I was at the time, did a lot, of, a lot of great investing. The problem there was always moving from those proof points right. to systemic change. And so moving from New Schools to the government, it was kind of a, it really was just the opposite, is that we were dealing with things that had multiple zeros, whether those were zeros at the end of dollars or zeros at the end of hundreds of thousands or millions of students. And, and so the leverage there was about scale. But what was missing was the opportunity to really create uh, new things at that kind of scale. So I think I've moved back and forth and tried to bring the sort of proof point innovation to big scale mm -hmm. and to take the big scale and talk to entrepreneurs and institutions about how they can move in that direction. And of course, now, Ted, you're leading the uh, leading ACE, which at times was not always in sync with the government uh, uh, and, and government policy. So how is it moving from government policy uh, that you helped uh, push and institute to now leading these institutions, some of which were not always pleased uh, with the policies that you led uh, or that the Obama administration led uh, a couple of years ago. So I'm, I'm relieved that there wasn't a mass exodus from <laughs> ACE when, when, I was, when I was named president. Uh, um, I, as I said at the time I was named, um, there really wasn't a letter that I received as undersecretary that I wouldn't have sent in my current role. So I now get to send those letters that I, that I, used, to, that I used to receive. But you know, there's always, a, and I think, a good healthy tension between institutions and the government 
over issues of, um, of regulation. You know, every institution I know and have been a part of would love to be just let alone. You know, let us, let us pursue our work. And government is sort of working on the other side. What are the guardrails that we need to put in place to protect uh, and then fill in the blank? Mm -hmm. Students, investors, taxpayers um, from potential uh, from potential waste, fraud, and abuse. Mm -hmm. So that's, I think, is a healthy tension. Mm -hmm. um, and one, uh, I, I think that I bring some of that government perspective into ACE. And, and, and certainly when I went to the government, brought the institutional perspective from my time um, at, at, uh, working at Occidental and UCLA and Dartmouth and others. So uh, ACE has always been known as kind of the umbrella organization of, of higher education, uh, the big six, right? Mm -hmm. they, uh, they call them, uh, you know, and you have all the other big presidential associations, you know, representing the private colleges and the land right. grants and right. community colleges and so forth. But it seems to me in covering higher education for the last 20 years that there's a lot more uh, um, divide between uh, on policy between those groups, right? So those groups now, it's hard to kind of corral them, I think, on on, on big policies, especially as we're starting to talk about the higher education, uh, higher education act. So what's your strategy for trying to find commonality between those groups, but also understand, you know, sometimes the land grant colleges might go in their direction and the independent colleges might go in their direction. Yeah. So I think, um, Jeff, in the, in, in the question is really also the answer right at, right at the end. I think that we all need to understand that when we can come together, we ought to, and we speak more powerfully when we do. Mm -hmm. But there are times, and we should acknowledge those, when people need to go their, go their own way. And so when I sit with the other members of the six, that's sort of our basic starting point is, let's see if we can't get mm -hmm. to a point of agreement. If so, yay. If not, let's figure out what lanes we're going to go in so that we're at least um, uh, knowledgeable about each other's, each other's positions. But I must say, I've been I've been there a year and four months now, and uh, we really have agreed on far more than we've disagreed about. And I think partly that's because so many of the issues that we're dealing with are less uh, at a tactical level that might divide the presidential associations, and more at the strategic or even the values mm -hmm. uh, location. Could you give so, an example? Yeah. So let's idea. so let's talk about you know DACA, mm -hmm. for example. Um, uh, the president decided we didn't need DACA on my first day on the job, right? Uh, and so on my second day on the job, you had we, a letter come out. I had a letter. <laughs> I had a letter come out. But you know that that that's the kind of thing that really is a it's a it's a values orientation, and um, not you know it's easy to say but when it's a matter of values uh, those divisions those, those potential divisions really really disappear the tax bill mm -hmm. uh, similarly sure there were different there were different associations and different categories of institutions that were compromised in different ways by the tax bill but we all understood the need to come together and stand arm in arm uh, whether it was on the endowment tax or the potential for taxing uh, graduate students' stipends, you know, those two were were value issues that that brought the brought the community together. So, as you all are looking now out at the future of higher education, ACE is a, an organization that is both thought of in certain quarters as very innovative and an umbrella that can push things forward, and in other places more staid and 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 uh, endemic of the system. Perhaps, what do you see as the big issues that you would like to push in a proactive as opposed to reactive way? Yeah, we do. We do have. Um, I, I, I did uh, hear once or twice when I was in the government that uh, one Dupont Circle was the Death Star. Uh, so, so we do. We do. We do come to some of this with with that reputation. 
I think that it's critical, and this is one of the things that the you know, the three of us have, have uh, talked about and worked on for, for a long time together. I think that it's critical for higher education to understand that their monopoly over the creation of content, over the distribution of information, courses, uh, is breaking up. And that institutions and ACE really need to be at the front edge of that to Mm -hmm. talk through with our institutions what that means for them from a business model point of view, from a student service point of view, and going back to sort of what wakes me up in the morning from an access and and affordability point of view. As as you see that changing that monopoly uh, and other organizations can create content, content is in many cases free. That's right. How, where, where do you think the member organizations, institutions ought to go to be able to take advantage of that? Yeah. I, I assume you're trying to shift them to an opportunity. Indeed. Indeed. I th- and, and I think, I think uh, it's exactly right. I think that many of our institutions are, uh, have some trepidation mm-hmm. about that. And some of it is, uh, com- comes just from a, hey, you know, that's my business. But some of it also comes from a very valid concern about quality assurance. Mm-hmm. And so where I want us to be able to move is to uh, have our institutions be more in the domain of quality assurance and uh, collecting opportunities for students rather than necessarily needing to produce it all. Jeff, you and I have talked about this before, but, you know, a third of students today already transfer courses. More than a third take a course online. So it's happening. Our students are moving in this direction, and it's uh, it's the institutions really need to need to build some infrastructure to manage that, and that's what I hope ACE can help do. Uh, Ted, we've had a number of presidents on this uh, uh, podcast talking about strategy and and talking about how they had to change the culture of their organizations and their campuses before that strategy went into place. What you just said was incredibly profound. I never thought I would see hear an ACE president talk about, <laughs> you know, the possible end of this, you know, the breaking up of this monopoly. Did you ever see Ted as ACE and, president? <laughs> and and I, I just, I've still got a couple blocks to walk back, so we'll see if the key works when I return. Well, you know, so, you know, I would imagine that there's a lot of presidents out there of some institutions who would say you should defend us at all costs, right? Defend that monopoly. We should we should hold this. So, what kind of culture change do you have to do with your members? Uh, you know, membership organizations have always been told to me, you know, they operate at the level of their slowest member, right? So what do you what kind of culture change do you have to do to say, hey, wait a second, you know, this is happening. Um, we need to be at the forefront of this quality assurance, like how while at the same time, they're trying to just at home deal with keeping their places in business in right. some cases. So right. how do you deal with that culture change? Not on a campus, like so many presidents we've had on the show had to deal with, but now in this organization that's spread around the country and around the globe. Yeah, it, it's it's the right question, and there's not an easy answer. And and uh, for folks who are listening who don't know ACE, so we represent two-year institutions, four-year institutions, public, private, urban, rural. We are the umbrella for, for an incredibly diverse ecosystem of institutions, and they will respond individually in the ways that they um, they see fit for their institutions and their institutional mission. And, and I think with this transformation, as in so many others, there isn't a one-size-fits-all. And so, you know, I, I was a president of a small residential liberal arts college. I think that there is a place in American higher education for small residential liberal arts colleges, and I will defend them to the death. 
there is also a place for the uh, what did the Chronicle call uh, Southern New Hampshire the mega university? <laughs> yes, yes. And Michael Michael uh, Crow has certainly um, developed a mega university here uh, at, at ASU. So I, I think that we'll see a spread of institutions taking different approaches to this. I think that ACE's role is to um, to say pretty clearly to institutions, it's not one or the other. So you can create a platform at a small place like Occidental where students can still take advantage of multiple resources that may not be domestically produced by Occidental faculty in their classrooms on a daily basis. And finding that place where institutions are comfortable in providing access to a great variety of educational resources that we didn't have 50 years ago, I think is, an op- is, a, is a, a pure opportunity. I'd love to push you on this a little bit, just because it seems a little bit similar in certain respects to the uh, healthcare debate over electronic health records, where we said if we had a mega health record, we'd allow people to transfer. And instead, Kaiser created their system and uh, Geisinger created theirs, and it sort of trapped people in. It was a way to keep them in and, and not have them talk to each other. And colleges, it strikes me, have a similar incentive that, yes, students are definitely transferring between institutions, but if I don't give you all your credits, I get to make more money because of the credit hours. So how do you how do you shift that? Yeah, so it's it's not easy. And, and I, I just will say unequivocally, the transfer system in this country, whether it's institution to institution or online to brick and mortar is broken. It's just it's just broken. Uh, and we at ACE want to open that conversation up and try to make it more efficient and effective for students. Average student who transfers loses 43 percent of their credits. That's not OK. And if you look at the declining um, public uh, confidence in higher education, uh, there's a lot to answer for uh, in that in that particular um, uh, transaction. So it's not easy. On the other hand, I think that if we begin to think about uh, the economics of, of an institution as throughput, as opposed to sort of mm-hmm. the stock of student enrollments, I think that those numbers start to even out, mm-hmm. maybe even push toward the side of having more students who are doing different things, getting through and completing rather than getting halfway through and dropping out. Uh, Ted, last question. So you mentioned public confidence. Uh, You're leading ACE at a time when it seems public confidence in higher education is at all-time lows, um, or at least it seems that way. In every poll that comes out, um, people just think, you know, college costs too much. uh, Students can't get jobs. uh, Professors are too worried about uh, pushing their own political agendas. Nobody believes in free speech. You know, go on and on and on, no matter who's, whether it's Gallup or Pew or, or anyone. So why is this? Maybe it's all the reasons I just listed, but more than that, what do you need to do about it? What yeah. does the what does the sector need to do about this? Yeah, it's the it's the big question for us. And um, if you look at our strategic plan over the next uh, three years, this is item number one: is addressing the public confidence issue. So, you know, we do need to remember that the public confidence in institutions writ large is as yeah. low as it's ever been. And you know, it's kind of the military, the police. Higher ed, uh, Congress is at the bottom, <laughs> as it always as it always uh, seems seems to be. So a part of it has to do with this uh, national narrative mm-hmm. about confidence, about in institutions. Um, but I do think that uh, the 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 higher ed narrative about it costs too much, there's too much debt. You go to school, you don't get a job, you're going to live in your parents' basement forever, um, is not healthy for us. And so we need to do two separate things, but they're connected. One is, it's not true. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so we need to kind of get out there with uh, a different fact pattern that says higher education still is the shortest path to uh, the middle class. Uh, it is an in engine of social mobility. People do get jobs. People do pay off their loans. Uh, and the exceptions are not the rule. So that's one. But then second, I think we need to look hard at our practices. And we need to own up to some of the things that we need to do better. I mentioned transfer earlier. I mm -hmm. think that that certainly is, is one of them. Um, we are uh, coming, uh, we're, we're getting better at uh, thinking about completion rather than just access. But the completion problem is a, is a serious one. And the fact that it, uh, it affects low-income, first-generation students of color from urban areas and rural areas alike, that's, uh, that's a big deal. If, if you're running a business and, and half of your customers leave without buying anything, you got a problem. And so I think we need to own up to that. We need to work on tools and techniques, practices, policies that make it easier for people to succeed. Well, Ted, uh, it's great to have you here as always. Uh, we could have gone on as usual with uh, another 10, 15 minutes, but uh, appreciate your time being with us today. And thank you very much for your service also to, well, to higher ed. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Michael. Great to be here. This episode of Future You was made possible with support from the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership. The Academy is a partnership between Arizona State University and Georgetown University and is the premier training ground for those who aspire to senior leadership positions in higher education and those who want to lead organizational change at colleges and universities in the future. This episode was also made possible with support from Entangled Solutions. If you want to shape the future of education, Entangled Solutions would like to hear from you. Entangled Solutions is hiring smart, mission-driven team members interested in helping world-class institutions solve their most vexing challenges in learning and education. Learn more at entangled.solutions. And we're back on Future You uh, off a really great conversation with Ted Mitchell that I think, as you said, could have gone much, much longer, maybe, maybe not just 10, 15 minutes longer, but an hour or so. But uh, I thought as the president of ACE, Ted made a very bold uh, and perhaps historic uh, statement on on the podcast, Jeff. Uh, and, and you've obviously been covering uh, higher education and seen ACE through lots of iterations over the years. I'd love you to dive into his comments and parse them on, on how he sees the role of ACE and in institutions in the future. I mean, uh, the fact that he said, you know, uh, you know, the monopoly is is breaking up in, in higher ed and, and how do you how does ACE help institutions uh, not only deal with that, but what role do they play? I thought was a pretty profound statement because ACE historically has defended that monopoly. Um, you know, most presidents and I think the choice of Ted as president really points to a new direction. Right. Most presidents were essentially most presidents of ACE were on kind of retiring presidents of their institutions. And this was kind of their third act. And uh, and the whole goal was to kind of protect higher education as we knew it and to bring together those presidential associations that he mentioned. Right. Uh, whether it was the land grant colleges or the independent colleges. So the fact that you have the president of ACE here saying, 
you know, the monopoly on, on content uh, is essentially uh, coming, potentially coming to an end for higher education. And what is the role then of traditional colleges and universities, I think is, is absolutely uh, critical. And, the, and that, that means I think ACE can play a role in helping us transition to whatever the higher education system uh, looks like uh, next. And I think the biggest piece of that is how do you assure quality? Now, many institutions, I think, use quality as a crutch and they say, well, we just want to maintain quality. And really what they do is they just want to maintain kind the of monopoly. Again, monopoly and they yep. don't want new players to come in and they, and they, they kind of frame it as a quality assurance uh, issue. Um, but, you know, I, I think institutions in general need to call out bad players, whether they are in, institutional players that exist today or institutional players that are going to exist right, in the, the entrepreneurs, future. The, right? Yeah. And, and I think uh, higher education, for the most part, doesn't call out. They call out bad players of the new players, but they do not call out historically the bad players that have operated in the system for, for generations, and they tend to look the other way. Um, and if we could come up with a new quality assurance metric or framework uh, that allows us to know who's of high quality and who's of low quality. And if you're of low quality, you know, you should go out of business or you should not at least be supported by government dollars. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Ted spurred that when he was at the Department of Education as the undersecretary, he was uh, overseeing that when they launched the Equip initiative, which was basically to partner boot camps uh, with traditional four-year institutions uh, and have not just accreditors sign off on the partnership, but then also introduced uh, what they called a QAE, a quality assurance entity, uh, whose job it was to look at the programmatic outcomes and say, is this a high quality? Does this clear our bar for student outcomes or, or not? And the way they did it at the department when Ted was there is they said, we want to see uh, outcomes along a few different metrics, learning outcomes, completion rates, not just for first-time, full-time students, but all students. Uh, we want to see placement rates in that case into jobs, but you could also imagine into further education or, or wherever your path may take you. Uh, they wanted to see salary data in theory. Uh, and then uh, at Entangled, we obviously added another metric was we wanted to know after you were out a year or two, knowing what you now knew about the experience and in the context of what it had uh, led you to be able to obtain in your life, is this something you would choose to repeat? Right. And uh, we've obviously at Entangled taken it to develop a set of quality assurance standards that builds off of Ted's platform really for, for this conversation. And I'm very curious to see will ACE in some measure adopt uh, some of those quality assurance standards because they've always been a place that allows for transfer of credit uh, and for courses to be approved. Uh, they've, they've done this with Straighter Line, with other groups, to allow outside organizations that are offering courses, not programs, but courses to count as credit uh, for college. And if ACE gets serious, I think, about a student outcomes conversation, which is markedly different, to your point, from where higher education has been or where accreditation, quite frankly, has been, where it's focused much more on markers of what we think lead to quality or uh, are you programmatically teaching the right things? In in the case of uh, ABET, which is uh, the engineering and business uh, accrediting body and one of the most forward thinking, I think, of the accreditation bodies. But even for them, they're not looking at actually individual student outcomes. They're, They're looking at programmatically, is this focused on what it should be? And so it'll be interesting, can ACE as a membership organization, can they meaningfully move that forward? What do you think, Jeff? Well, I think they're going to have to. I mean, uh, I think most uh, 
organizations, membership organizations now are under pressure to create more value for their member organizations. Uh, and I think there's many members, not only of ACE, but these other organizations who are struggling and they want to know what's the value of this. But I also think it ties back to what he was talking about at the very end about the new strategic plan for ACE around kind of the public perception of higher education. And if ACE can make a mark anywhere, I think it's helping to turn around uh, this kind of growing national negative perception of what higher education is. We, we know, you know, both you and I know the statistics. We know that, as he said, it's not true uh, that higher education does not uh, help you in uh, your both economic life and life in general. Sure, if we you complete, know, right? it's we, great. We know if you complete, uh, it is the biggest differentiator on so many things, on, on, on life expectancy, on your economic uh, outlook. Uh, and we also even see it's now even dividing the electorate um, in terms of, of, of Particularly vote, Republican right, voters, right, yep. Republican voters versus Democrats. And so we've, you know, it's it seems to me that higher education always was held in high esteem. Um, as he said, you know, organizations and institutions of all kinds are falling in, in public perception. Uh, but 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 I think it's ACE's role. That's as the umbrella organization, they're better positioned than almost anyone else uh, to try to change this. And what better way to change it by saying we believe outcomes are important. We believe that good players should be held in high esteem. We think that bad players should be either they need to be remediated or put out of business. Um, that we not we don't no longer you know prop them up in any way, whether they're nonprofits or for profits. Uh, and I think that if if he if the quality assurance work that uh, he wants to do at AC. Uh, gets you know goes to a place where it, where it should go. I think it's going to end up helping this public perception because the public cares much more about the outputs of higher education than the inputs. Yeah, um, right. There's always going to be a group that cares. You know where you're ranked and things like that. Sure. And we know most of those rankings are based on the inputs. But you know the when public when the public goes to colleges now, whether they're 18 or 35 or 50, they want to know is this worth it? Am I going to get a job out of this? And how much debt am I going to get into to pay? Yeah. For and I, you know, look, he's, he's right. Also the, the debt narrative has taken on its own life and gone out of control in the sense right. that yes, there is a lot of debt in the books, but most students have under $10,000 right. in debt. It's, it's, you know, it's skewed because you've got those uh, students that are often graduate students that have lots and lots of debt. And so that's part of the narrative. But the other piece that he said, and I, this goes to what your point is, is, the conversation can't just be around access. It has to be completion. And I, I would add completion with a purpose, yep. right? Completion towards something. Uh, and th that shift, I think, will, if, if, if they're able to make that shift and help their member institutions graduate a far higher percentage of students, and he's actually able to navigate that transfer change where people stop seeing it as, well, I have to husband my credits, you know, because that's how I make my money. But it's actually. Now I see it as a way to boost graduation rates across the sector because we can help many more people complete. That'll do a lot to changing the narrative because as we also know, the flip side of the narrative of if you go to college complete, you're more likely to get a good job and, and have all the positive life outcomes you just described is if you don't complete, you're probably worse off than if you hadn't gone in the first place. And it's, it's not because there isn't a modest premium for some college, but no degree there is, but there is also a huge opportunity cost. There is debt that will be harder to pay off and so forth. And so if they can shift that and dramatically boost completion rates, that'll do more, I think, to change the narrative than anything else he said. Well, thanks, Michael. And it was great to have uh, Ted on the show this week. And so 
thank you for joining us uh, again on Future You. And no matter where you're listening to us, please rate us and, and tell your friends to listen to us on, on the various platforms that you can listen to Future You on. And we look forward to having you come back and listen to us in the near future. Thank you. Thank you.